Hello, good morning everyone. Um, yep, yeah, so Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And imme immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. 
And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you, uh, Hannah, for leading us in that reading. Uh, if you're really good, keep your Bible open there at Acts 9. Uh, if you are new to uh, South Bowen, we have been for a little while making our way through this book uh, of Acts, these ongoing works of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. And uh, this is the passage that we're up to today. Now, one of the things uh, that followers of Jesus love to hear are stories of people's conversions, to hear about God's saving work in bringing people to faith in Christ. One of my own highlights of our church camp earlier this year, uh, and there were a few highlights, but one of them in particular was on Sunday morning when Stephen Dewey shared his testimony about how God brought him to faith when he least expected it, when he wasn't even looking for it. Uh, some of our highlights in church life over the years have been when young people and not so young people have come up the front and professed their faith in Jesus and shared their testimony of how God has worked in their life to bring them to the point. These are wonderfully encouraging moments, aren't they? They fill us with joy. They, they remind us again of the work of Jesus. They give us hope that uh, he will keep doing that work that our labor in the Lord is, is not in vain. Now, as we progress through the book of Acts, we're here in chapter 9 in the middle of three conversion stories. Uh, the, one of them each in chapter 8, uh, chapter 9, and then in chapter 10. And each of them is significant. In chapter 8, we had the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And in chapter 10, we will have the conversion of Cornelius. And both of them are opening up for a mission to the Gentiles. Each of them is a reminder that Jesus continues to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. And here today, we have the conversion of Saul, whom we come to know as Paul. Now, late this last week, I made the call, made a call, and one that I probably should have made much earlier in the week, and that call was to actually spend two weeks looking at this conversion. Uh, Saul's conversion is actually covered three times in the book of Acts. It's covered here in chapter 9, and then again in chapter 22 and in 26. Uh, both those latter two occasions are where Paul is giving defense before authorities for the gospel that he preaches. Paul refers to his conversion several times in his letters. They become a foundation or a basis for his ministry, his understanding of God and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
It's that significant for the ongoing story of Jesus. So next week, our focus is actually going to be on the radical change that this conversion brings about in Saul's life and the call for him to be an apostle of Jesus. But today, we're going to focus on the conversion itself. Mostly, we're looking at verses 1 to 19. Because what we have here, in Paul's own words in 1 Timothy, is Jesus Christ displaying his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Saul's conversion is an encouragement to us and an example to us, not of what Saul did, but of what God does. Now, as we begin uh, chapter 9, we are reintroduced to this guy named Saul. And I say reintroduced because he's already had three brief mentions in the book of Acts. In chapter 7, verse 58, he was there uh, with being having garments laid at his feet when people were preparing to stone Stephen to death after his speech. A few verses later in Acts chapter 1, it mentions that Saul was giving approval for that stoning. And then a few verses after that, it told us that Saul was ravaging the church, dragging men and women off to prison. Now, this is not a great introduction. And in fact, it only gets worse. At the start of this chapter, we read that Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He is intensifying his persecution of the church. And now he is asking for, for letters from the chief priest so he can travel to Damascus, about 150 k's away, where Christians, where believers have fled from Jerusalem to there, and he wants to continue on the persecution in that city. Now, as I said, Saul's conversion is mentioned three times in the book of Acts. And so in Acts chapter 22, he will say this. He said, I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering men and women. In chapter 26, he will say, I did many things in opposing the name of Jesus, locked up many of the saints in prison. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often and tried to make them blaspheme. He talks about a raging fury against the church. You see, incredibly, Paul makes no attempt here to paint himself in a good light. He goes out of his way to explain just how far from Jesus and the truth of the gospel that he was. Later on in his, one of his letters, he will write, I was a blasphemer persecutor, insolent opponent. I'm the worst of sinners. And in Galatians, he will write, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You see, we're being left in absolutely no doubt here that any grace or favor that is going to come to Saul is in no way the results of his goodness his efforts, his searching, his trying to reach God. 
Now, that's not going to say, that's not to say that Saul wasn't trying to lead a good life. In fact, he was. He talks about the confidence that he had in the flesh, the, the way that he was zealous for, for the law of God, zealous for the tradition of his fathers. But where did this get him? Well, it got him nowhere. In fact, it got him to the point where he was a violent persecutor of the church and a persecutor of Jesus. Later on in chapter 26, he remember Jesus asking him on that road, why do you kick against the goads? Now, it's, it's, it's a weird statement to us, kicking against the goad, but apparently it was, it was quite a common statement in both Latin and in Greek. And it referred to oxen who, who were leading a cart or plowing a field who would kick against the pointed sticks that were meant to keep them going in the right direction, that were meant to be leading them. Saul was kicking against the goads. He was kicking against the very things that God had given to bring people to faith. He had every single advantage. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Now, why is this important, church? Why do we spend time here? One of the struggles that we have, one of the temptations that we have is to think of salvation as something that somehow and by some way we might have contributed to. We might be tempted to think of salvation as some sort of birthright that we inherit from our parents. We're born into a Christian family, we go to a good church, we may go to Christian school. We think, well, of course I'm going to be saved. It's in my DNA. I have to be saved. My, my parents were, my grandparents were. Well, Paul says, I was born into this. But look at what it led to. We might be tempted to think of our salvation as the result of a long search or quest. Years of seeking answers, longing for God, trying different options until finally we found the ultimate answer in Jesus. Or we might be tempted to think of salvation of the gospel as something that we figured out. Something that we came to understand or made sense of. Or we might think of lives, our lives as, as pretty good. Not perfect, of course, but not so bad. And, and we just need Jesus for that extra top up or that bits that we're missing. And of course, God may use many things in our lives. He might place a longing in our hearts for him. He might use our minds to, to study and examine the truth of the gospel. He might use Christian family and Christian upbringing. But none of it is a reason for our salvation. Because here's the guy who has every advantage. He knows the Bible. He's zealous for God. He's praying for God's kingdom to come. And where does it leave him? A blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of the gospel, of the church, and of Jesus. Now, this is not very encouraging, is it, on, on the surface? Maybe we find ourselves at this point thinking, 
I didn't come to church to hear how bad I am. I didn't tune in here for another knockdown. I wanted something to lift me up, to encourage me, to spur me on. But this is really important. Because in the story of Saul's conversion, it makes what happens next stand out all the more starkly. It's all the more incredible. It's all the more grace-filled. Because to this man, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, comes a radical change, comes radical grace. It is a gift of grace and it is nothing else. On his way to Damascus, we read in verse four, 3 and 4, there's a light from heaven shining all around. And he falls to the ground, he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do there. You see, this, this is an absolute moment of absolute radical grace. God-given free grace to one who describes himself as the worst of sinners. One that Paul will later describe as being nothing but sheer mercy given to him. And a few days later, after sitting for three days in darkness, fasting and praying, God will send to him another man, a man named Ananias. This is not to be confused by the Ananias in chapter 5. He's dead uh, and buried already, but another man by the same name. God has prepared Ananias, as, as reluctant as he was, to come to Saul, to pray for him, to lay hands on him, to welcome him. And so Ananias comes to Saul. And the first words that Saul hears from a brother believer, fellow believer, is brother Saul. Here is this opponent and this persecuted, persecutor, violent man, feared, now welcomed into the family of God. Not only that, his physical sight is restored. His heart is opened. He receives the Holy Spirit and is then baptized. You see, we are left with only one conclusion when it comes to this conversion. It is completely and utterly a gift of grace from a sovereign God. Saul is not seeking Christ. Saul is not on a journey to Christ. Saul is not wanting to know Jesus. But God knows him. And God welcomes him in Christ. Galatians chapter 1, Paul will write this. He said, he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. In 1 Timothy, he will say, the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with the grace and the love 
that are in Christ Jesus. Now we might think, how, how is this possible? How, how can God simply accept a man so violent, so evil, so set against the church and the gospel? Well, he does it with the grace that comes to us in Christ. It comes to us through a saviour who paid the penalty for sin on his own body, who though living a perfect life, suffered and died in place of his people so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free, so that we could be welcomed into the family of God. Now, our world, in many ways, is fascinated by success for its stories. <coughs> Excuse me. Particularly rags to riches stories. We love to hear from people who've made it, uh, particularly people who've made it through difficult circumstances, who've overcome obstacles in their lives. We hold people like that up as models and examples and motivators for us to strive and to work and to make something of our lives. But the gospel doesn't do that. The gospel doesn't allow for that. It has plenty of, of rags to riches stories, plenty of people who, who, who made, made it. But each time the hero and the architect of the story is the Lord Jesus. It's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who calls. It's Jesus who interrupts sinful lives. He specializes in tough cases. He works where there is no hope. He has only ever saved people who are sinful and without hope. Now, there are ways in which this experience of Saul's is unique. And next week, we're going to consider some of that uniqueness a little more. But in other ways, it's the story of any of us who come to know Jesus, who find life in him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul will write, For God who said, Let, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts giving us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, he will write, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, this morning, if you're a, if you're a believer and you're listening to this and you're hearing this, and you're thinking about your own salvation, there is only one possible outcome. There's no room for boasting or pride for a sense of deserving or achievement. There is only praise to God for his marvelous grace who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I wonder, I wonder, people, how often we reflect on that. How often we think of our own conversion, our own coming to faith in Christ, and, 
that it leads us to glory and praise and honour of Jesus. I trust that you do reflect on it. You do think about it. And it causes us to be deeply thankful to Christ and his work. Maybe this morning as we go through this, you have on your mind or on your heart uh, people who are not yet Christians, who don't yet know Christ. Maybe it's someone who grew up in the church. Maybe it's someone who's walked away. We feel that sense of grief. It burdens us. It pains us. It might be tempting at times to give up, to give up hoping, praying, loving, sharing. But this conversion is a tremendous encouragement to us to never give up and to never stop because Jesus can work in the hardest of hearts. He calls the hardest of cases and he brings them to their knees and he brings them to faith. And as I say these things this morning and as we consider Saul's conversion, I'm quite conscious that today might be that day for some of us. It's possible that even as we speak now, the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, bringing light to where there is darkness. Maybe in thinking about Saul, you've had a sense of your own need, your own rebellion, your own want for something more. But at the same time, God is revealing to you his glory in the face of Christ. Filling you with a sense of peace and grace and hope. Many people have been praying that this would happen. I've been praying that this might happen. And if God is calling you this morning, I want to invite you and encourage you to take that step, to follow his leading, to admit hopelessness and helplessness, and to find forgiveness and grace in our Saviour Jesus. Let's pray to him together now, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for the radical grace that has come to us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you called the worst of sinners as an example, that you remind us that you can work with the hardest of hearts, the messiest of lives, the most broken of people. Lord God, I pray for those this morning who feel that sense in their own life and in their own heart, who sense the call of Christ to leave all behind and to come and follow. Lord God, would you be working in their life? Would you enable them to take the next step?
to trust in Jesus and to follow him. Lord God, we pray for those in our lives that are not walking with you. We pray especially, Lord, for those that have grown up in churches and up in our families. And we plead, Lord God, for you to be at work, for you to be gracious and kind and call people back to yourself. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of grace and of mercy, of kindness and love. We thank you, Lord God, that you have saved us, undeserving sinners, and called us into your family now and forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.